Okay, Paul, so as I've tried to explain to you before, one way to get over your DCOCD is to try reading books, actual proper books, not just comic books, you know, books of different subjects and, and different genres. And I, I just wonder, have you been trying to do this at all? Oh, you'll be very pleased to know, Dr. Hippie Surfer, that I have been reading, uh, I'm reading a book right now. It's on, oh. um, it's on female empowerment. Um, oh, 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 interesting. Um, is, do you have the, the book with you here today? Um, no. No? no. Uh, what's that in your bag there? That looks like a large type, type thing in your bag. Did you show me uh, how it's there? No, it's nothing. No, no, nothing. Um, Look, I, I don't mean to be difficult, but um, it looks like a thick book, and I think it might be um, one of those Batman comics, Paul. No, no, no. It's it's about women. It's about um, you know uh, society and how they fit in society. Um, uh, it's all about it's about women's issues and stuff like that. I, I, look, are you sure? I I can see the, the bat signal on the cover. What look? What's the title of this book you're reading, Paul? Uh, no Man's Land. Right. DCOCD, the DC Events Podcast, where we're going through every single DC event from crisis on Infinite Earths all the way up to the present day, whatever will be when we get there. And I'm not doing this one alone. Today I'm joined by Reggie from Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadwell. Yeah, how you doing, everybody? <laughs> Thanks for joining me. Now, today we're doing a huge event. Uh, it's Batman No Man's Land from 1999. And, I mean, I can't even begin to list how big this is, Reggie. It's it's too big. It's massive. It's tremendous. You know, it's funny. It only went on for one year, but because there are so many Batman books, it's just a tremendous number of comic books to, to deal with, you know, just in that one sliver of time. And then if you go into the earlier stuff, it's, it takes about two years of stuff. It's a lot of books. Yeah, I should mention that we're we're not covering the full scope of it because I mean, well, there's Contagion and uh, there's yeah. Cataclysm and there's uh, Legacy as well, and they all sort of built up, um, you know, adding bits of the story. So Gotham really gets the crap beaten out of it after a series of dumb disasters. So there's um, mm-hmm. there's an earthquake, there's a plague, um, Ra's al Ghul attacks. There's all sorts of things going on, and the end result of it is that. Um, Gotham is in such bad shape that uh, everything gets shut down by the government. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to imagine a government neglecting people like this in this day and age. <laughs> I couldn't imagine it, you know, but it happened in a comic book. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's almost like a uh, 
Escape from New York scenario, except they don't even turn that island into a super prison. They just leave it totally to its own devices. So that's nice. Yeah, so you end up with this, you know, this Gotham City that's basically um, got no support from the outside, and it's everyone for themselves, which means villains take over, and they um, carve out territory, and uh, the police take over, and things have gone so badly for Batman, Bruce Wayne, in the lead-up to this, that he's um, really butthurt and can't go near No Man's Land at the start, so it's several months into it when the story starts. Yeah. But, I mean, let's talk about the story. So, um, it was kicked off by Bob Gale of Back to the Future fame, Devin Grayson and wrote a lot of chapters. Uh, Greg Rucker yep. debuted in the DC Universe with this event. Uh, there's Larry Harmer. Chuck Dixon does a bit. Uh, even editor Jordan B. Gorfinkel writes some chapters. Writes a bit in there, yep. Yeah, and there's lots of um, other people involved too. And the art, too much to mention, but as you said, it went for about a year in the books, um, which is mm. a long time. And, yeah, it's basically how does Gotham crawl from this situation where everybody's um you know it's it's like a role-playing fantasy world suddenly where you know the scarecrow mm-hmm. has a kingdom and the penguin has a kingdom and they're all at yeah. war with each other it's very strange but uh it, it i think it's the first event that i've covered where basically it's not something coming into the dc universe and changing everything it's complete landscape shift within the dc universe so it's like you know you have to learn what it's like and it's and you do that because the story you know takes its time it really um, eases you into it and shows you this is how different it is now where, you know, batteries are worth more than money and things like that. Right. Yeah, and, you know, how people are now behaving differently. Some are becoming more helpful. Some are becoming even more uh, crummy and, you know, uh, more capitalistic. And it's uh, it just it really kind of gives you an idea of what it might be like to try to just survive when living turns to survival. And, uh, you know, it also has a kind of I always felt or I guess I always kind of wished it had a very warrior's like that movie, The Warriors, feel to it, but it really does. It is much more like a D and D kingdom kind of scenario because they're not all wearing uh, the same clothing, all the different factions. But that would be nice if they were. Yeah. So, and there's so many changes that take place in this one, as far as you know. Uh, the police have got the Blue Boys territory, but um, soon there's a schism in them, and um, one of the SWAT officers breaks off and starts forming his own. Yeah. Billy Pettit forms the Strong Men, you know, and that's uh, and, and that actually takes more of the cops with him. Uh, he has quite a big amount of support. And I mean, to be honest, this entire story, uh, what's interesting about this to me is it's a it's a Commissioner Gordon story. And it's about how Commissioner Gordon, it's the city, Gotham City is not Batman's. It's Gordon's. And, you know, when, when the chips are down, Bruce Wayne up in his mansion, Batman up in his back cave, you know, when that thing breaks down, he gets all sad sack and he just cheeses off and goes to the government, and, you know, and stays away for months on end. Gordon is there in the trenches the whole time, you know, and he's fighting every every second. And, you know, as we'll get into, obviously, he loses everything over it. But uh, it's really his story. And, you know, I think the best moments do, do revolve around him. Yeah, let's go to the best moments. So it's interesting that you said that the best moments revolved around Gordon. My favorite chapter of this entire book is the one where um, Batman and uh, Commissioner Gordon have it out. <laughs> That's my favorite yeah. chapter. I think it's the the heart of the book, and it's the most interesting part. And it really, um, I mean, we talk about what type of events there are. So, I mean, I've we've identified four different types. So there's the fixer, which basically adjusts the continuity and fixes up and changes the role of characters. Um, there's right. the occupy, which gives the books a story to tell for a period of time. 
Um, there's the launcher, which basically you know creates new books and ideas and reinvigorates concepts and um, unleashes them. And there's the vanity project. And this one, I think, it's everything except the vanity project. Basically, you know, it. Fi- oh, yeah. I think the main thing it fixes is um, it really redefines the police in um, Gotham City and gives them stronger mm. roles and makes them more autonomous and much less of a accessory to Batman. Um, That's true, and and leading, and that definitely leads right into Gotham Central, which you know happened only because of this event. You're right, yeah. Yeah, and I think this is an occupier too, because you know clearly the, all the Bat books got a ton sure. of story to tell, um, you know, and there's so much story that they could tell in this, and you know, like every single Bat villain basically gets a little showcase, and you see what they're doing and how, and all the differences, yeah. you know, from Scarface to Scarecrow to uh, Mr. Zaz. Um, right up to all the big villains like the uh, the Joker and the Penguin and totally you know. and it's also a launcher because uh, you know big characters that come out of this uh, Harley Quinn for one she did her DC Universe debut right. in this story her name Montoya which was a, it, I think was a great character introduction from the animated series also makes her debut here yeah and so much work on her character done by Greg Rucker both in this story and beyond mm-hmm. Batgirl of course we got the Cassandra Cain Batgirl the new Batgirl in yeah. First the Huntress, then Cassandra Kane. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say even uh, going to launching it that um, the seeds of the President Lex story are in this story as well. I'd say that too. Yeah, that's right. You know, he, that's his first time making a public grandstand about being so uh, philanthropic, and uh, that kind of it does it lays that exact groundwork. You're right. I didn't even think of that. Uh, this is also, I think, one of the the first time that Batman promises at the end of this never to abandon his squad the way he did in the beginning, which he then proceeds to do every other time there's ever a Batman event. That's, that's how they all start. He vanishes or he like won't leave Gordon's bedside or he's, you know, stuck at the computer or whatever it is. You know, that's, it's, he always like annoys everybody cause he, uh, won't, won't let them into his world until it, it's too late. And, uh, this might be the first instance of that because that's the first time he really had this huge, that family operating, you know, there's Azrael is here and, and Cassandra Kane and he even teams up now. Catwoman now becomes the dubious kind of and Poison Ivy. Also, her character changes to someone that can be reasoned with. Uh, it, it, it really does change the entire dynamic of Gotham City, I think, to make it more of a, a character in the story instead of just a setting, a backdrop. Yeah, it's interesting that you said that because I had those exact notes about um, Bruce Wayne versus trust is you know the core of so many events. Unfortunately, yeah, you know it's a lesson he keeps learning over and over again. It's such a good lesson. <laughs> you never quite, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. He, he just keeps forgetting it because that trust keeps getting broken. Paul, you have to understand this is a battered, an emotionally battered man. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that this the whole tenor of the Bat books, even to this. To this day, uh, were changed very drastically by this, and you know, I would put Nightfall, you know, as kind of a one-two punch in the '90s for how Batman would be going forward. Yeah, of course, Nightfall is heavily referenced in this. I mean, when uh, Bruce Wayne and uh, well, Batman and Commissioner Gordon talk, you know, he says, "You don't think I noticed that there was someone different under the cow and all those other people?" And you know, that's that's really good continuity and referencing. You know, these stories have built up, and you know, this feeling that. Commissioner Gordon feels that Batman has contempt for him, you know, is based on all that sort of stuff that's happened before. Absolutely. So uh, it was a lot of fun to go go through it again. And, you know, I don't know, do you reveal the you reveal the big endings on these things that uh, his wife dies at the, at the last day yeah. of No Man? That, that is really the watershed moment right there, the breaking moment for uh, the whole 
scenario, but uh Commissioner Gordon, you know, keeps his composure and everything, and that's cool. Yeah, oh, it's such a shitty moment when that happens. It is. <laughs> the, the, the dropping of the baby, I mean, the, it, it's beautiful and sad and tragic. It's, it really is a good piece of comic book, I think. Mm. So what are the big deals to you in this one, Reggie? Well, the main big deal to me, going back through it, and it's something I forgot, I've, I've probably read through the whole thing a couple of times, uh, one thing I love are the maps, how they keep, they keep showing the map of the, the territories that these gangs hold and the cops are look, or the blue boys are looking at it, referencing it and stuff. And, uh, it's not just seeing the territory that these guys hold, but there's also like other interesting points, uh, of different creators. You know, obviously there's Robinson Park named after Jerry Robinson, but there's also a Bob Kane sound. There's a, uh, Sprang Bridge. There's an Aparo Expressway. There's Port Adams. There's all these awesome play Dixon docks. And, uh, that, even as, even in the nineties, when I read this, uh, that kind of thing just tickled me to no end. Just these, these, uh, fake maps, you know, of, of really of any, anytime DC had a map of any of its properties that don't exist, I would always pour over it as if I was going to figure out some kind of secret out of it. So, uh, that's one thing I love. But if we're talking about very quickly, my personal favorite moment, my personal favorite deal that I think just did a lot for the, for the, uh, Batman property going forward, that was from, uh, Batman Chronicles number 16 by Greg Rucka and Jason Pearson. And that's when Renee Montoya meets Two-Face. And they have that weird, you know, that, that understanding between them. And she gets Two-Face to, you know, kind of help out and save some people. And then later on, obviously, that had ramifications because that's who Commissioner Gordon sends to make a deal with. And then he, you know, does a double face on him. You know, he is Two-Face after all. So it's not so crazy that he would double deal Commissioner Gordon, but just that whole relationship in this series, in this event, I just liked it a lot, and just that the beginning of it is one of my favorite moments. And that plays out continually in um, Gotham Central with uh, Renee's yep. story, you know, evolving from there as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, I mentioned my, um, you know, Commissioner Gordon Batman highlight, but I don't know. I kind of like the breadth of it. Like, you, this is a crossover you really have to go and live in for a while. You don't just get to yeah. read it. Um, it really immerses you and, it, you know, takes you away and says, you know, this isn't the same as everything else that you've read lately. The world is different and the attitude is different, etc. Mm. Do you think it goes on too long? Um, you know, it, in my mind, it actually went on longer because there are so many books involved. Uh, I, and i got to say, when I was buying this off the stands, this was at a time in my life that I wasn't really going to the comic shop and it was probably the last times that you could still buy comics on, at the newsstands. That's where I was buying it. I was, I was a young man in my early 20s and I was... Uh, I had my first, you know, real job, whatever, and sometimes I would pluck a Batman comic off the racks, and the No Man's Land series spoke to me because of the spine treatment, warning tape treatment, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, yep. the uh, whatever it is. So I used to just grab one or two a month, and I wasn't grabbing all of them, and it was enough I could I could still keep up. There are a lot of one-shot type stories in there, a lot of one-offs that I really had a lot of fun with, but taking it all for this show... Uh, all of it again, you know, and I, and I did go into the earlier stuff, even though I didn't have to, but I wanted to do a, uh, deep, deep read. It does, it does probably wear a bit too long, just in number of pages. That, you know what I mean? It's not even a matter of it being a year, because that's like, it's not like that's too long, but it's a year across like six books. Yeah. A month. You know what I mean? It's a lot of books. It's kind of crazy. So props to the editorial team for doing it, but, 
Uh, we probably could have lost a couple of months on it, I think. Yeah, I, I must admit, I had dropped off the Batman books by the time this came around, and that was mostly because of the uh, rolling crossovers and the fact that everything was yeah. tied together so much. So there were titles that I was getting on their own, but you know, as soon as it was unified cover dress on everything and you go get this and this and this, um, so I came to it in trade form after the fact, uh, which is still five trades, and it, that even Absolutely, that is not yeah. complete because they're re-releasing more comprehensive trades right now. I know, so. I can't believe it. It's <laughs> killing me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's it's a lot. Yeah, it, it's it's a big chunk of a book, but I guess that's what the office had been trained to do in a way, you know. And Denny O'Neill trained them to make these kind of stories. This was their big hurrah to do that. So they did pull it off, but. Uh, probably could have lost a dozen issues about, let's say, it would have been nice. <laughs> but, I mean, I must mention the introduction of Harley Quinn, because she is just a punching bag for the Joker, and I hate that. And you don't realise how far the character's come and that she has so much autonomy on her own now that she sort of stands alone from the Joker and even the Bat books. And, yeah. You know, and seeing the way she was written at the start, it's like, oh, yuck. You know, the Joker is just such a scumbag to her. Absolutely, yeah. Not just because, you know, he's mean to everyone, but, you know, she's like one of his key allies and he just treats her so badly. But anyway, at least things have moved on <laughs> from there, for good or for worse, depending on your opinion of uh, sure. the Harley Quinn exposure that we get these days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have opinions and I will withhold them right now. <laughs> <laughs> and we've covered Legacy pretty much, so, you know, there were quite a few good books. And, I mean, unlike a lot of Legacies where you just launch a title or two, I think this really, like, we got the new Gotham-themed Batman books after this, mm. and they really showed there's a whole new dynamic in Gotham, and Batman has a different relationship with the police, and the police have a different relationship to Batman, and, you know, the, it was yeah. much more... This is where you got you got a Batgirl book again. You got you know Gotham Central like we've been talking about. It was all before that. It was like Asriel, and then like five you know four or five Batman books. Yeah, that's all there was. You know what I mean? Like and it was even though there were other characters, that was the the focus was just him. This really did spread out in the team. Of course, Nightwing had a book all at all times. I wasn't even thinking of his, but uh, yeah, Red Robin eventually got a book, and everyone got their turns. Uh, spoiler would come back in in War Games and die, so that was nice for her. So, <laughs> yeah, every everyone everyone got elevated. It was nice, and I think. Yeah, this this really set a good stage, and I don't think the stage lasted... I mean, it lasted quite a while until they probably did Batman Murderer, and then it was uh, sort of redefined again with, as you said, the same story being learnt by Batman, mm-hmm. <laughs> unfortunately. Yep. Batman Murderer, and then War Games, he didn't say that <sighs> that time he just wouldn't leave Gordon's side for a while, and then there was another one where he just, like, stayed at the computer for four months because of the winner. Yep. Always something that bad. Always brooding, that guy. I don't know what his story is. Poor bloke yeah anyway <laughs> we might play a promo and then we'll come back with some scoring Sawate, my name is stella and i am the host of backroll to oracle the barbara gordon podcast backroll to oracle is a podcast dedicated to barbara gordon the first woman to hold the mantle backroll for an extended period of time roughly 1967 to 1988 the goal of Batgirl the Oracle is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Batgirl and continuing through her tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at a vintage issue of Detective Comics or Batman, as well as other books like Justice League and Freedom Fighters, and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. 
I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I have a revolving series of segments like Babs in the Tube, which highlights appearances of Babs in TV and film, Shipper Spotlight, which looks at a variety of comic and pop culture couples, gives their history, and determines whether they are hot or not, Reading with Stella, which could be described as an audio drama, or just me reading a book that relates to Babs or doesn't, and of course, the mainstay literature recommendation. I have been blessed to interview writers Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon on their Batgirl Year One work, Brian Q. Miller on his Batgirl run, Dwayne Swierzynski and Christy Marks on their separate Birds of Prey work, and the creators and actors of the Batgirl Spoiled, the web series. I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Find the show online at thebatmanuniverse.net and iTunes, and follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Batgirl to Oracle. Thank you, and fly on, Babs lovers. So now this is part of the show where we score this event. So uh, we do this yeah. by four measures. So one is eventiness. How eventy is it? Uh, how good's the writing? What's the art and covers like in your estimation? And the impact and legacy. So I'm going to kick it off with eventiness. I think this one is very eventy. I'm going to give it a nine. And while I don't think it touches every corner of the DC universe, I think that's appropriate for this event. I think it does what it's meant to do. I mean, Superman looks yeah. in a couple of times. Uh, Young Justice look in, for better or worse. Yeah, um, like J- JLA actually admits to helping, you know, Batman behind the scenes a little bit, but it is all sort of just for dressing, you know, uh, that they're just acknowledging that that's happening and, you know, leaving it to, to its own devices. Yeah, but I mean, as it's such a full-on soaking of an event for your brain, sure. um, I, I give it a nine. Yeah. What about you, Reggie? I, I went and I gave it an eight only because in, in my mind, when we talk about a true mind-bending DC event, obviously it would be Crisis in Infinite Earths would be the 10 out of 10 mark. And this, you know, even though it, it has uh, broad ramifications for the Batman books going forward for decades, it just isn't of that scope. So I figured bring it back a couple of notches, but still keep the number real high. Okay. And where do you fall with the writing? The writing, I would put it a seven. I think it's it's uh, overall very good, with a couple of maybe you know little dips. There's some, uh, especially like the uh, one shot kind of their vignettes that are really hit or miss throughout the whole thing. But Greg Rucka is super strong throughout. As a matter of fact, when I went through my favorite moments, I realized they were all in issues written by Greg Rucka. Um, but everybody, Chuck Dixon and you know Devin Grayson, they all really bring their A games on this thing, and it's. Really solid, uh, but, you know, just not perfect throughout a perfect flow. So, 7 out of 10. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's an 8. So, uh, overall, I mean, uh, the more I read of events and you read all the side books, you get, um, you know, sometimes it's diminishing returns. But this one, it's all fairly um, strong. And I think editorially, they really kept this on target as far as telling stories that were mostly important and mostly expanded the story and gave it valid depth so i think i think it's about an eight um yeah. it's v- it's pretty strong I-, I give it a b plus on internal continuity too i mean it's good you know what i mean there's nothing I mean, these are big complaints but you know it's just not a hundred percent to me but it's it's of g- great quality stuff all right now the art and the covers now the art is a little bit more of a mixed bag I, right when it's fantastic it is so good so uh, uh you know yeah. just um the guy davis art in that one chapter i uh, just love seeing him involved with a book like this and you know and i think they really took a chance by introducing new artists to the bat books at this 
this stage, just for a visit. Yes. But you get people like Disraeli, um, you know, and but then there's your standards like Mike Diodata Jr. and people like that. So I mean. It, and Damien Scott getting introduced, and he went on to do the um, Cassandra Kane Batgirl book. So that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's in some cases the flaw with the art is the over exaggeration. I mean, I'm, the chapters with Bane. I'm looking at you. Um, there's a scene where <laughs> Bane is holding a pistol. I don't know how he gets a quarter of his finger inside a pistol grip, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you know it, it's uneven overall. You know, when I first saw it. Uh, when I first read it uh, in the 90s, I was a lot harsher about the you know, non-standard art, we would say, the stuff like the, that's done for Cassandra Kane, Batgirl, and some of the other parts. I've softened on that over the years, but it is uneven. And again, there are a lot of creators involved, but I got to I gotta look at it all as one unit. So uh, I have to score it accordingly. And in my opinion, it was came in about a 6 out of 10 where... You know, some great points, some low points, but overall, because it's so wildly various, that's it. Kind of hits this, gets a C, I guess we'd give it. Right? <laughs> yeah. Do you give letter grades in Australia? Uh, you do that, or you know? Mostly numbers, but uh, yeah, we are familiar with uh, the letter uh, grades. But uh, I'm uh, so old, I can't remember school these days. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So six from you, seven from me. Now, impact and legacy. I I think this is very strong. I mean the. The maturity it brought to the Bat books, I think that stuck around uh, for a long, 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 long time, and I think it endures today. I, one impact thing I think is really uh, important is it introduced Greg Rucker to uh, the DC Universe. Sure. Oh, yeah. And he is a creator. I think he you know, pretty much became you know, a sort of de facto architect of the DC Universe from this point on you know, fairly quickly. Uh, yeah, pretty quickly, you know, going into, uh, yeah, uh, Infinite Crisis and then... Uh... 52, he was definitely huge on that, so there's no question about it. And, and this, I, to be honest, I didn't even realize this was his introduction, but because he really, he really does seem to ha- control almost the whole event in a way. You know, he seems to have almost all the big tentpole books, uh, but he's, he does a great job in this. I love it. If it was all about his writing, I probably would go up and give it a 9 out of 10, I'll tell you what. For writing. <laughs> On top of uh, Gotham Central and Batgirl and President Lex and uh, Mr. Rucker being a stalwart of the DC Universe, I'm, I'm giving it a nine. And just the legacy to the Batman books, I think that it still affected its tone all the way through the creators, uh, Brubaker and Morrison and, you know, Snyder. All their writing has been touched by this. This is sort of the Batman, the super prepared, you know, uh, Batman that is uh, became a Bat God that, you know, Tick so, so so many people off, but that sort of started here a little bit, maybe in Nightfall. Uh, I gave it for impact. I'd give it an 8 out of 10. Okay, so we've got all our scores in, but we don't do this alone. We're joined by Ashford Wright from the Write On Network, who does Feathers and Foes, the Birds of Prey podcast, and Cassandra Kane podcast as well. Take it away, Ashford. Thank you for allowing me to come on this show. I love DCOCD. I love saying it. I love looking at it at, in print and reading it backwards and forward awesome stuff so i am ashford hello over at the feathers and foes a birds of prey podcast and i am excited about talking about batman colon no man's land this is basically my gateway into the dc persuasion before this i would just kind of read any comic book that i found interesting or whatever my friends threw in my hands and in the 90s i read a bunch of spawn 
And I uh, was basically reading indie comics like Stray Bullets, Girl Scouts, Girl, spelled in the Riot Girl wave back then in the 90s. And then uh, in 2004, you know, I picked up Batman No Man's Land Volume 1 because uh, the beginning is a great place to start. And I got to tell you, I was hooked. It made me understand that Batman is a detective and what's cool about no man's land is that Batman has to go back to basics. You know, Oracle is out there, but all the high tech stuff, it's not going to work. So let's talk about the eventiness and um, eventiness. I don't know if it's a word. It's uh, sounds made up. But then again, words aren't fossils. So, of course, all words are made up. So we're going to go with it. Eventiness with a Y. Um, I got to tell you. I, the eventiness is pretty huge considering, um, all the natural disasters that we see out there in our world. And this wasn't a natural disaster. It was a man made. We end up finding out, but the way that they handle this, I thought it was very realistic. You know, I've survived a couple of hurricanes and of, uh, biblical, we're talking old Testament worthy proportions. And I got to tell you, like the aftermath of one where, you're living without power. And I love how they showed in this story, this saga, the barter system where, you know, money doesn't mean anything, but apples, batteries, that's like gold. So I love how they showed that. I love how they showed that really the only people who stayed in no man's land, government sanctioned, it was, uh, you know, the, the destitute, the criminals and some good cops. And you see them slowly but surely trying to take over uh, land, try to win back Gotham or to uh, do a coup in Gotham, if you will. And I hope that you do. So Bruce Wayne, he was missing because he was trying to, you know, go about the legal way of getting Gotham back into, I guess, uh, the United States proper. And it didn't work out. So with him gone, I got to tell you something. Going three days without power feels like an eternity. So if Batman was gone for... 24 days, working days, not working days. I never know which is which or like bi-monthly or bi-monthly or bi-weekly. Does it mean the same thing? Fat chance, slim chance. I don't know. South Dakota, North Dakota, South Carolina, North Carolina. I thought they did a realistic job of showing the eventiness of the aftermath of what is it like to live in, you know, rubble, to live in nothingness, uh, lawlessness um, without any type of uh, law and order. And the cops, they're doing what they can, but I mean, it's, it's the wild, wild west out there. So, or it's, it's an old man's land out there. So when Batman comes back, they're not afraid of that suit anymore. So the ventiness, I got to give it a 10 because, um, back then, I don't know if the earthquake in Gotham, if that seemed like that was out of nowhere, but now what we're seeing on the news, and when I say now, I mean October 28th, 2018, when I'm recording this, Batman No Man's Land seemed pretty relevant. It seemed like when I first started reading the book, which was after the fact, I think like maybe a year or two after, it seemed like, oh, okay, well, it makes sense that an event would happen just in Gotham. You know, usually when we think events in DC, it's you know, Earth's colliding and the universe collapsing on itself. But Gotham is such this expansive universe within itself 
that's why I highly recommend this one for someone who wants to get into Batman because you get to see the Batman universe, I think, in a, in a good comprehensive type way. And um, is there backstory? Yes, but I think um, it being convoluted and you being lost in like, who is this character? I think everything that you need to know about these characters, it's in there. Now, as far as the writing, <laughs> so yeah, the eventiness, I'm giving it a 10. Uh, the writing, oh, the writing is great. I, I, there's this one side story, you know, like usually when we do crossover events, you know, you got like maybe the main title and then the side stories and you're sometimes you're thinking like, well, those side stories, I'm just going to skip them. But I like that the collective volume of these books, the collective volume of these volumes, I like that they include everything because there's this one side story where it follows. I can't remember the name of the writer. It's a woman. And it's about this man that he doesn't want to leave. He's not leaving. You know, he's seen Gotham grow up. And there's one kid that was in the neighborhood that is now looting and all that stuff as a young adult, a teenager, young adult fiction. I thought it was realistic how, you know, they dealt with that character and, you know, that's a real Gothamite. Like, you know, what is Gotham? Like sometimes Gotham is written as if it's this gritty city. Sometimes it's written as if it's the city of tomorrow. And I, I think sometimes it's a tale of two cities within one. So I, I think seeing the little people, I think that works out well here. So with the writing and something else about the writing, <laughs> as the eventiness is going on, they're slowly but surely creating this new character, Batgirl. All right. And we're talking not Barbara Gordon, but we're talking about this new up and coming character, Cassandra Kane, where there's so much chaos going on within this volume one through five of Batman No Man's Land. We're getting um, the rise of Cassandra Kane and her getting the blessing to be Batgirl. Unfortunately, in spite of Helena Bertinelli, my favorite DC character, Helena Bertinelli creates this iconic outfit that Cassandra Kane ends up wearing later. And I don't use the word iconic loosely and loosely that's relative. So my loosely could be your tightly, who knows, and vice versa. The writing, I give it a 10. The covers and the art, you know, I will give that a seven. Legacy and impact. I got to tell you this, guys. Cassandra Kane, this is how well they handled this character. So after the events of Batman No Man's Land, we get a new book. We get a new Batgirl and it's featuring Cassandra Kane. And usually the Batgirl books, there were backups. So Cassandra Kane's run, I believe it's like one through 74, the first volume. It's the first volume of Batgirl. You would think that Barbara Gordon would have at least had her own series, but she didn't. So that is a huge impact. And that Cassandra Kane character has survived a lot of crises or crises. I've heard it both ways where she existed in new 52. Uh, she's in this rebirth. They're going to make a DC birds of prey movie. And Cassandra Kane is going to be featured in it. So that is a huge impact just in itself. And, I don't, you know, I can go back and look it up, but I don't think there was a big time backlash about Cassandra Kane being Batgirl. And we all know that Barbara Gordon is beloved, but since they did such a good job with creating that Oracle character and the Batgirl book, 
the volume it with Kelly Puckett and Damian Scott on the the the, the creative team, it's so good that the impact and legacy of it is so huge that I can see Cassandra Kane easily being kind of just erased out of the DC mythos, like going forward. But the fact that she keeps popping up because her legion of fans are there, that impact and the legacy, it reads, I think, a little more relevant than ever before. And I just love the one issue where Superman, where he comes in to help and Batman is like, hey, man, no shot to Superman, but I'm. This isn't one of your quick fixes. This is something that's going to take time. This is uh, systematic. It's going. You can't just swoop in and help. This is a, a long-term type thing that um, we have to work on. So there's a lot of themes, and there's a lot of. Uh, <laughs> this has a huge impact. So I'm going to stop rambling. I'm going to give the legacy and impact a ten. The cover, the art. <laughs> I'm going to give that a seven. The writing A10 and the eventiness. I see the website. It has uh, comicocity.com. It's eventiness with a Y. Uh, I'm going to give it a 10. So thanks a lot. I'm Ashford. Sorry for the ramble. But uh, thank you for allowing me on DCOCD or backwards DCOCD. Cheers. Thanks for that, Ashford. Very insightful. Okay, let's go through the scores. So I add up mine. I get 33. Reggie, you gave it 29. And we've got Ashford's score, which is 37. We uh, halve that and then round it up, giving us 19. Adding that all together, this looks like 81 out of 100. 81 out of 100. So what... Oh, boy. Yeah, way up there. Um, I think this sits just below Death of Superman and Nightfall, but above Cosmic Odyssey. So... Hmm, nothing to be ashamed of there. I'd put that about right, you know what I mean? To be honest, I'd put this really in my mind on par with Nightfall, but to be a point off isn't, uh, you know, the worst thing. Well, you could have given it an extra point, but you didn't, so... Well, well, I'm I'm a jerk, (laughs) (laughs) I've been trained to to be a much harsher reviewer, I think, than others, that's all. All right, so if you want to see uh, the event in its context, um, head on over to Comicosity. We have the ladder there, which is that uh, you just find podcasts, you'll find our podcast, and in every single entry for our podcast, there's the ladder, which lists all the events so far and their scores, and it's in a sortable table, so you can have fun with that. So uh, we'll have one more uh, promo and then come back with some feedback. Black Canary, is your hand okay? No, it's broken, but my heart is mended knowing that we got Rico into a safer home. Indeed. I can't believe that he was able to survive suicide slums all by himself. Oracle, let's make sure he has the best birthday ever. Ashford, you want to go in with us on a gift? I don't do birthdays. What do you mean you don't do birthdays? I'm tired of birthdays already. How can you be tired of birthdays? Every time I look up, someone is having a birthday, Black Canary. And they just can't have one birthday. It's always, my birthday is on Tuesday, but the party is on Saturday, but my parents are coming in on Sunday, so we're having the dinner on Friday. By the end of the week, according to the logic of birthdays, the person has aged five years. Dude, birthdays gotta stop. If the birthday stopped, that means the person is dead. Hmm, I think that's existential. Subscribe to Feathers and Foes on iTunes. Follow Feathers and Foes on Twitter at Feathers and Foes, 
and email at the Feathers and Foes website. Okay, welcome back. So we have some feedback which has come in. So uh, first we heard from Jimmy McGlinchey and he said, Hi Mike and Paul, sorry for the delay in commenting on the last number of episodes. A combination of work and holidays have, has curtailed my commenting on the shows, which has all been excellent. We'll give a whirlwind response to the last number of shows. Uh, Nightfall. This was an excellent bat event. It was built up well, particularly in the Doug Munch Batman run prior to the big asylum breakout. I would argue the most memorable parts were contributed by Chuck Dixon, who had a great handle on the character of Bane and Azrael. I also loved the BBC radio adaptation of the Nightfall series, which is well worth a listen. Mm. Wonder Woman. The Contest. I was not reading Wonder Woman at the time, so I cannot comment on this fully. It makes sense if you're including Doomsday and Nightfall to include this, but hearing the storyline behind it, I don't think it had the scope, impact, or legacy that the other two storylines had. Ooh, bit of judgment there. Um, <laughs> bloodlines. Bloodlines. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. The near and dear to my heart, that bloodlines, I'll tell you what. <laughs> I collected all of the annuals in this series, but unfortunately, a lot of the characters created were not ready for prime time. That's an understatement. Oh. There were some exceptions, <laughs> most notably Hitman, but the majority of the characters were forgettable and made no impact. Mm, yeah, I think we agreed with you on Bloodlines. Um, yeah. Zero Hour. Zero Hour is quite good, but you definitely needed to read the tines to get a full sense of what was going on. Luckily, the majority of the tines were quite cool, and kudos to John Bogdanove for channeling all the different Batman artists when doing the Man of Steel tie-in. And the Zero issues made for a nice jumping-on point for a lot of DC series, even though some of them weren't worth reading. Um, <laughs> Underworld Unleashed. <laughs> Uh, I agree with all of what your semi-OCD contributor said in that episode. Uh, that was Jimmy, who was the semi-OCD for that one. So good that he agrees with himself in retrospect. Um, Kingdom Come, an excellent story by Wade and Ross. Would recommend the Kingdom Come reference book by Comixology, which gives a good background into the various characters and all of the little side characters that Ross created in the book. Who knew Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band were superheroes in the, in the Kingdom Come universe? Mm, I didn't know that. No, I didn't know that. Final Night. Excellent story. I think the tie-ins really helped as they were not bombastic hero versus villain battles, but quiet introspection as the characters considered their fate in the light of a natural disaster that they were unable to battle. The Hitman and Flash tie-ins really embraced this viewpoint and gave some great depth to the storyline. And Genesis. Let's get to Genesis. Whoa. Ah... I did not click this at the time, as it was a New Gods-led crossover, an area of the DCU I still have trouble finding a handle on. I did read the crossovers that came out at the time, and they were not good, as was the miniseries itself when I finally read it. I think you were maybe too generous in your marks for this series, and cannot think of any future event that will be even close to challenging it for the bottom position on the ladder. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and then he Ouch. says, uh, looking forward to your coverage of 1 million, DC 1 million, that's out, so you can listen to that, Jimmy. Um, after you do that, a fun little story you might like to read is JLA and Crisis from the Secret Files and Origins book that has a story by sure. Tom Payer and Rags Morales about the Flash's speed aura making Wally relive all of the various events from Crisis to 1 million, and now a man in the JLA have to try and face these demons. Fun little story, and the book also has little who's who pages of the events themselves. I've got that, and I've read it, and I can't remember it, so I'm going to dig that out and read it. Thanks, Jimmy. Yeah, well, that was a good one. Nice. <laughs> 
And we also heard from Tim Price, our friend Tim. And he said, hey, Paul and Dr. Sherbert Ferber, if you remember the Twitter poll when this podcast was starting that asked for people's favourite type of event, DC 1 million is why I voted for Vanity Project. I won't get into the merits problems with this type of event because just that each type can have good and bad executions. This one was one of the best examples of a Vanity Project and stands strong as one of my favourite events, period. You both did an excellent analysis and coverage of DC 1 million, and Mr. Magoo's background and ratings were likewise excellent and fair. I don't have any quibbles over the scoring as though that would matter. Just to say that I'd be with Paul on the higher side. Oh, yeah, with Paul's the winning side. Uh, Riding on target, love Val Seemick's artwork, and truly an event felt through all of DC that month. And sadly, that was the end of it. The occasional cameo does not a legacy make. Of course, one that jumps to mind is the 633rd century Supergirl popping up in Young Justice in the aftermath of Sins of Youth. Another enjoyable episode. That'll wash the Genesis burn out of your mouth. Till next time, Tim. <laughs> oh, poor Genesis. Goodness. Oh, hard it. to get her. <laughs> oh, well. Mm, so, Reggie, where can people find you if they want to catch up with your podcasting and stuff like that? Right, well, we do a new one every Sunday. You can find us over at chrisandreggie.podbean.com or over at weirdcomicshistory.blogspot.com and email us at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. Wow, you do so much podcasting, and all of it uh, <laughs> top, top quality, top quality stuff. Thank you very much, yeah. We, we, we uh, have ramped it up lately, so uh, if you subscribe now, you will have even more hours of stuff to dig into than a month ago, so that'll be nice. It's almost a lifestyle choice, listening to all your shows. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> Any, anyway, we'll be next... Uh, well, Reggie won't be back next time. Mike and I will be back for another Waiting for Doom. Exciting times for the Doom Patrol. And then the next DC OCD will be Day of Judgment, uh, the next station right. on the uh, the Hal Jordan Express line. <laughs> Right, yeah, that's basically what it is, but a much maligned series, but okay. I'll be looking forward to that myself. All right, so once again, get in touch with us at DCOCDcast on Twitter, and you can send emails to DCOCDcast at gmail.com. All right, thanks very much, everyone. Thanks, Reggie. Thank you. Great to be here. <laughs> thanks. Bye. We gotta get out of this place. If this